I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Bonus, Bonus edition. edition. <laughs> we were perfectly in sync on that one. And yeah, <laughs> even did like a little bit of a this thing, and we still were in sync. We we're still totally in sync. It's perfect. Um, well, Jam, I'm I'm happy for today's questions. They all were really good ones, but I want to start with a correction. Okay. Okay, so this is from our our patron Tim. Okay. Yes. Who's also a high school chemistry teacher. He's getting uh, certified to teach high school chemistry and my friend IRL. And he also gave a correction on the freezing point episode, which so did we had that same one on our last Q&R, mm-hmm. but he explained it in a different way that I thought was also helpful. So he said, if you add an amount of sugar to water and the same amount of salt, there will be a difference in freezing point depression because the salt salt dissociates into water into sodium ions and chloride ions. Okay. So it's twice the number of particles, whereas okay. sugar doesn't do that to the same extent. So uh, okay. I think I said if you put X or Y amount in, it will be the same. Like uh, X amount of one and X amount of the other it will be the same. Right. But I didn't think about the dissociating in water. Right. So. But what you're talking about was like just the collative, collative property and like, the fact that there is at least some level of, of you can change the material and achieve a similar result. Yes. And it's not like only salt can do this or something yes. like that. But okay, that makes sense. Yes. But like baking soda, I guess, would dissociate. That would have a similar effect. Yeah. It's more right. about the amount of the material and less about the material itself. Got it. Got it. So that clarified the thing that I was confused on last week or last Q&R. So I thought that was helpful. So thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Shout out. And he's one of our patrons. Did you say that? Yes. Okay, sorry. And he is he always comes to our coffee hours. Those are really fun. Oh yeah. Okay. This next one's from Peter F. Here's what Peter said. I just listened to your episode on freezing point or lack thereof. <laughs> First of all, as a Minnesotan, it was very fun to hear two Texans talk about letting faucets <laughs> drip and salting roads in the winter. Yeah, we we're like, well, I, how does that happen? I don't know how that happens. Have yeah. you ever seen that happen? <laughs> he's like, he's like, those naive Texans. <laughs> Poor, poor Texas. <laughs> they think they have it bad. Um, I have a follow-up question related to water being super cooled. I've heard that water can also become super heated and thus explode if something's dropped in it. However, it sounds like this only happens with distilled water and not tap water. Do you know why this is? Thanks for all you do, Peter F. Okay, so I could speculate on this. Um, this does happen. In chemistry, we call it um, bumping, actually, when a fluid is a liquid, I guess, is at the boiling temperature, but nothing breaks the surface tension. So the gas doesn't escape. Hmm. And then if you drop something in it, it will. Oh, interesting. So we call that we, or you don't even have to drop something in it. Sometimes that'll just happen. We call that bumping where it happens a lot is, um, we have this thing called a rotary evaporator where you have like a water bath and you have a round bottom flask that rotates. Mm -hmm. And so it's rotating. And then the solvent that evaporates off, you know, goes and is collected into like a condensing tube. Okay. And there's a little thing in between called a bump bulb to catch any, if it, if it boils over like that, Uh it'll catch it. So That's why we have stirring rods in, um, like if you're heating up something so that it breaks that surface tension and doesn't bump like that. And then also that's why if you've ever done like a a 
high school or college chemistry lab and you had to put boiling stones in something, it does uh-huh. the same thing. Okay. So I don't actually know that if it only happens with distilled water or not. I've seen it happen with all kinds of solvents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is just about, and I would imagine water would be the worst because it has really good, um, oh, sorry, I hit the mic. It has really good intermolecular forces that are really strong with those hydrogen bonds. Right. So, you know, you've seen water. We've talked about the surface tension of water before. Yeah. So I would say it has a strong enough surface tension that it could be hard. And maybe distilled water, because it has less particles in it, like less salts in it and stuff like that, would have a better ability to interact with itself and not have other things getting in the way. Mm. But I think it would happen with either. Got it. So yeah, I've seen that happen, but I don't know. I guess I don't know a ton. That's just my guess is that it's the surface tension. Got it. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I never would have thought. Yeah, I guess there's not as high of a risk of that when you're like on an open pot boiling water at home. It's a very unique situation yeah. <laughs> yeah. where you're boiling water in a little weird flask or something. Yeah. <laughs> so. This next question is from Madeline. Madeline asked, how does lightning striking sand create glass? Okay. So sand and glass are made primarily of the same thing. Mm. Silicon dioxide, so it's SiO2, but sometimes that's also one silicone, uh, silica molecule and two oxygens. Uh But sometimes that's just called silica, but it does have two oxygens on it. Um, And sand and glass are both made primarily of that, but they both have other things in them as well. Okay. And so I'm guessing that when lightning strikes sand, it just heats it up enough to melt it together. Now I, then I went and Googled it because that's against my rules for Q and R's. I try not to do homework for Q and R's. It's like part of why we went down to doing less episodes is so that I could manage my life a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was interesting because there are some things that go around the internet that are like, oh, this is what happens when sand strikes glass. And it's like these really clean, beautiful pieces of glass. Also in Sweet Home Alabama. Have you seen that movie? I have not. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, he's, he says sort of the same thing. Like, oh, when lightning strikes glass or when uh, lightning strikes sand, it makes this beautiful glass formation. Uh-huh. It does, but it's basically like hollow tubes. And the sand on the outside is kind of stuck to it also. Okay. So it, it does exist and you can just Google petrified lightning is what they call it. And it, mm. it does mimic the, the, like, um, the structure, I guess, of lightning where it has like fingers all the way through and it has these, these hollow tubes with the sands on the outside. So it's not like really cute in my opinion. Got it. It's called fulgurite, fossilized lightning or petrified lightning. And you can Google it and it just looks to me like dirty sand. Here's, here's (laughs) a picture. Here's some pictures of some of it. I mean, it looks cool. And it's also hard to tell like which ones of these are fake and which ones of these are real. It looks cool. But one of the most interesting facts I found, and this was just from Googling. So I did not write these references down. You can Google it as well. But one of the facts I found is that it can stay, that it can be really intricate networks of this like uh-huh. under the sand and it can stand there for a long time and not become unearthed. Wow. And it's pretty rare to find because you have to have the right amount of silica or um quartz in there Got to it. make it to m- make this happen basically. 
Those pictures looked super cool. I mean, yeah. it, you're, you're right, though. It's not very, like, it's not, like, glass looking at all. Right. So it doesn't, like, I think if you'd asked me to picture it or describe what I think it would look like, I would probably describe it as a little bit more glossy, beautiful in that way. Yeah. Instead of being, like, a kind of odd formation. It looks like an odd rock formation of some kind. Yeah. Like, like I mean, not like stalactites and stalagmites, but, but similar. Kinda. It's, like, a little creepy looking, in yeah. it, but still cool. And that does kind of make sense because if it's really hot enough to melt and fuse this sand that it's directly touching, then it probably is also melting, but maybe not to the same extent so that it's not all clear, like yeah. a, a good amount of sand. So I'm like, how much of the sand is fused into the quote unquote glass? Yeah. Anyway, so, but the basic answer to Madeline's question is that they are made of primarily the same thing, silicon dioxide. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Good question, Madeline, but it's not the way Sweet Home Alabama makes it look. Hmm. I know. Who who knew? You can't trust rom-coms. Yeah. Who would have thought? Shocking. <laughs> this next question is from Audrey. Audrey asks, how do heaters, air conditioners work? How do they immediately heat slash cool the air coming out of the vents? Okay. Also, when Audrey messaged me this, she said, oh, may- maybe this is a dumb question. I don't think this is a dumb question at all. And actually, I don't know the answer. I sort of know an answer, but I don't know the whole answer. And I think it's worthy of an episode. Yeah. Because that's a good question. I also, I kind of feel like we have maybe been asked this in a Q&A before, but I think we may have said something similar, honestly. Maybe that like so. we need to delve into it deeper. Yeah. yeah. I could be creating that memory out of nothing, but something about it seems eerily Sounds familiar. familiar to me. Well, so here's one thing I do know. There's something called swamp coolers um, that they use primarily like in the desert where it already, it cools off at night. So it's not as hard to get the house cool. Mm -hmm. And it essentially just blows air over water. And that water, because it has a higher heat capacity, which we've talked about um, in like one of the very first episodes, can basically take in the heat without heating itself up too much and therefore cools down the air that passes over it. Yes. In the same way you get a cool breeze off of the ocean sometimes, it just cools it down. So I know that they have something like that, swamp coolers. And when things got really hot, was it last summer? There were people making their own versions of this where they would like get a fan and put it, like drill a hole and put the fan going into a bucket and have ah. ice water in the bottom of the bucket. And so the fan air would like hit the bucket, the ice water, and then like okay. come out cooler. Interesting. I don't exactly remember why I've seen that, but. Yeah. That's crazy. There's also something similar with um, heat pumps, which I've, I've watched some videos about. Is a specific way of doing that using the the earth, using the like the way that the ground can stay cool when it's hot or yeah. be warmer still when it's cold outside and kind of use it to heat or cool our air a little. Um, and I don't fully understand that, but there's a lot of, of interesting like science going on there too, where they're, yeah. they're, it's more efficient if you start, like when you're building a new home, for instance, if you were to do that, it'll be more efficient for the long run. And so there's a lot of new, um, kind of companies looking into that kind of stuff, but I still I don't fully understand it, but it sounds like it'd be similar just yeah. using the earth instead of water. If you didn't have access to like an amount of water. Somewhere. Right. But Well, and my husband's grandfather was talking about, I guess he went to Alaska and I don't know a lot about this pipeline, but I guess 
there's some kind of oil pipeline or something in Alaska uh-huh. and it's warm and you can't let it be too warm or it'll hurt the environment. Like the, um, I don't know if it's natural gas or oil or what's piping through it, uh-huh. but so to keep it from being too warm and melting the snow and like negatively impacting the environment, oh, right. they have just like these aluminum arms that basically stick up. And he was amazed, but that's enough to cool it down. And I was like, oh, that makes sense because aluminum will take in the heat and lose the heat really quickly. Mm. It has a low capacity to take in heat and lose and like we'll lose it really quickly. And so it's probably easily taking up the heat from whatever is being warm. And then the wind that's cold is taking the heat away. And it's like actively moving it away, moving those warm molecules off. So I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. But he was amazed by it. And I had never heard of that application. But I was like, that checks out chemically. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, that's cool. That's crazy. Interesting. So I don't know much about it. I've never been to Alaska. I think it's beautiful. But I thought that was a cool application of science, like in way they engineered basically chemistry to do what they needed it to yeah. do. That's awesome. So that's a really good question, Audrey. And I don't have the answer, but hopefully I will soon. Yes. Hopefully before it gets too hot around here, we'll have the answer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was 90 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday. Oh yeah. I don't know if that is Celsius. So I think in the 30s, it was hot. yesterday definitely it's already happening first day of spring of the year or whatever to exceed 90 degrees around here 32 32 degrees celsius so it's close hot thing well done you'd converted that pretty quickly i've got a little i've got a scale in my mind of what's what in celsius and fahrenheit just from years of having to convert for the lab that's awesome that'd be very handy uh, this next question is from Sean F. Sean asks, how does too much salt inhibit yeast growth? Um, before I answer this question, also, I got sick when I was in Canada. Oh, yeah. And the thermometer that we bought there is only in Celsius. And it says you can change it to Fahrenheit, but we can't change it to Fahrenheit. Uh-huh. So that added to my like list of numbers. So I'm like, oh, a fever is... I think it's 40 something. So I am like a fever's in the forties. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I sent the, I sent a picture of it to Emily, your wife, because I thought yeah. she'd think it was funny. And she was like, Oh, that's all of our thermometers that work are in Celsius too. Oh, nice. <laughs> so all of us have secretly converted all the scientists and the medical professionals. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to share that. <laughs> so Sean asked, how does too much salt inhibit yeast growth? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've heard that salt will kill yeast. Mm-hmm. And to me, that makes sense because if the if it works through something like osmosis, if the exterior is so salty, it'll give up, like the cell or whatever will give up water. Oh, okay. To balance it out. So, so it's too salty outside. Our cells can lose water so that it's, this, it's sort of reached an equilibrium where there's the same amount of salt on the inside and the outside. So I'm assuming the salt literally is, so it kind of dehydrates it. So if you've ever heard Uh, of people dehydrating meat using salt, mm -hmm. it's the same concept. So I'm assuming that's how it kills yeast. But I will say when I was thinking about that to answer this question, I was like, what is yeast? (laughs) I mean, I know it's an organism that does something to produce carbon dioxide. Yeah. But that's all I know about yeast. So that was a good question, uh, Sean. You stumped me. But my guess is that yeast has um, has some kind of a, a cell. And 
that's why. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I remember, I know like there's recipes I've done where like I made some dough for homemade pizzas one time and actually a few times and the recipe I was following was very specific about when you add the yeast Mm -hmm. and when you add the salt and a few different things like that. I'm guessing you're trying to get something similar because if you were adding yeast to the water and then you added too much salt or added too soon or something like that, then you probably would just kill it. Even at times I've heard that you should add the yeast mixture on the opposite side that you're adding the salt. So it has some time to work first, Mm -hmm. but also, so I just quickly Googled it and it says that yeast is a single celled organism and it's possibly in the fungus family, which what are fungi also is something I've been wondering about lately. Like what distinguishes them from plants versus animals? Yeah. But if it's a single celled organism, then I think that backs up my guess that some kind of dehydration happens and kills the yeast when it's interacted with salt. And part of what I would explain the this area being interesting and a little tough is because there's probably there's probably a whole area of biochem that would really delve into some of the stuff yeah. or biology specifically. And yeah. obviously the salt part applies a ton to chemistry. Yep. Once you get into like how does yeast work and stuff like that, that's probably something yeah. you haven't had to no. And uh, sadly, I was going through a tough time in college and didn't pay as close of attention as I wish I had paid in biochem. Mm. And now I'm paying for it now. Yeah. So in a different way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's something that I that I wish I knew more about. Yeah. So any biologists out there, I know we have some that listen. Mm-hmm. If you off the top of your head could give us some quick feedback about the difference of fungus between animals and plants. I'd love that. And also if you want to tell us how yeast make our food taste good. I know they feed on the sugar and a byproduct is carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. Like in kombucha. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that fungus too? Yeah. It's, it's a symbiotic. Um, SCOBY is stands for symbiotic combination of bacteria and yeast. So you have like a culture of yeast and bacteria that's growing together in there and eating the sugar and creating carbon dioxide and all that stuff. So did you know that jam used to make, used to make kombucha and he would call it booch and I hated it. Our friend Ryan was more the offender of calling it booch, but yeah, I did partake. I, I, in my defense, we made a lot of kombucha and gave Mm. all of it away. That's true. That is true. So that helped. But, um, the, the yeast, that's my, the extent of my yeast experience (laughs) is the dough I made that, for pizzas and mm-hmm. uh, kombucha. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. And Del- also the elephant's toothpaste. Uh, didn't I make you do that one time? Oh, yeah, you did. That's right. And it like kind of explodes. It gets warm. The yeast helps. Yeah. To that. yeah. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. That was super fun. Okay. This next question is from the chemistry guy, which I love. <laughs> I tried to find his real name, but that was all I could find on okay. Instagram. The chemistry guy. I'm a chem student. That's perfect. Perfect name for you. Chemistry guy. <laughs> I'm a chem student, but actually I have no idea where I'm going to work after graduating. Help. <laughs> That's funny. I really like that. Um, well, listen, it's tough. I, I know people's parents are like, get a degree in STEM that you can use right away. And I think that's true for like the E in STEM, uh-huh. which is engineering. But I don't think it's true for the S and the M. I guess it's true for the T and the E. Uh-huh. For technology and engineering, you could get you could get straight out of those and have a job. Mm-hmm. But science and math, 
it's actually kind of hard to get a job straight out of your bachelor's, a job that you would like. So a lot of times people go into chemistry and math because they like the challenge of it. I guess I don't know math as much. I do know someone who has a degree in math who went into data analytics right away and really loves it. Uh-huh. But um, for science, everyone I knew who graduated with their chemistry bachelor's and went to work was pretty discontent mm. with that work in industry. They kind of felt like, well, I got this degree because I like problem solving. I like trying new things. I, you know, that's why I like chemistry and I feel like I'm doing something that I could have done after I graduated from high school. It's mm. kind of what a lot of them felt like. I see. So a lot of people I know who got degrees, uh, bachelor's degrees in chemistry and went into industry came back. Well, some of them were teachers, mm. but a lot of them came back and went to grad school so that they could try to do other things. I think people who like to teach, that's a good option. Yeah. Or um, if you can get your foot in somewhere that in industry that's satisfying to you, or you can use your problem solving skills to get a different type of job. We know somebody who has a degree in chemistry who did that Mm -hmm. because you learn a lot of skills outside of just chemistry being a chemistry major, a lot of problem solving, critical thinking. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I don't have a good answer for you other than probably you'll want to go to grad school so that eventually you could get the type of job where you have the freedom to do more of what you like to do, Mm. which is, I feel like the trick that people don't tell you. (laughs) Like, I don't (laughs) think I knew that when I started my undergrad in chemistry that it's like, oh, you can't really, you can, but you can't get a really good job straight out of grad or undergrad. Yeah. Like my husband graduated with a degree in engineering and he got a really good job. I mean, he got entry level into a company and then got into like an engineering position and he could do that job for the rest of his life and keep moving up in the company. And he makes a very good living salary. And I think it's harder for people with just bachelor's degrees in chemistry to do the same thing. You're right. Right. In computer science, I think they'll have similar things where they can get jobs right out of, you can keep going to school, but you don't have to. Yeah. It's kind of tough. I mean, I guess all industries vary. It'd be, it's kind of annoying that's the case. Yeah. Um, But I guess there's always, that's always the case with different degrees you'll get, different industries you'll go into. It's like the demand or the level of education where you're really appealing to potential like industries you want to work in or, or workplaces or whatever, or the type of job you want to do might vary based on how many degrees you need to get, but it's a bummer a little bit. Well, and also I know, um, I guess something that sort of come out more in, in me looking at graduate education for my research is a lot of times a master's degree isn't really highly valued, but you can get a master's degree and then get more interesting jobs in industry. Mm. It doesn't help you a lot in academia. You could teach at community college, which is probably a little bit less time consuming than teaching at high school. But for academia, a master's degree doesn't matter as much. But for industry, that really can help you go out and get a career that's more interesting to you. But that's Mm -hmm. not as much of a commitment as getting a PhD. But a lot of cases, that's not valued. I wanted a master's degree because I didn't really know what I wanted to do initially. And everybody just told me, go for PhD track because those are usually fully funded. And you can switch down to a master's degree, but it's harder to switch up Mm. to a PhD. So like I was able to go to school with a stipend and school was paid for, but master's students didn't do the same thing. Right, right. 
So, and I actually ended up doing that because I wasn't sure if I wanted my PhD in OCHEM and I didn't really like it. So my master's degree was in, I like OCHEM. I just didn't like the lab and the work itself. Right. I liked making fun things when it worked. Yeah. But so, yeah, I think that's a hard question that I don't know how much I can help with. I think it's maybe a, a failing of the system that people with bachelor's degrees in chemistries don't quite have the same job opportunities that I think they're qualified for. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. Right. Yeah. Interesting. We definitely have talked a lot about two other, like the kinds of industries you can go into and stuff like that in previous Q&Rs, which has been helpful. So yeah. we could delve more into that with the chemistry guy, but that's helpful. Have you watched the, this is a question from David M. Have you watched the MIT open course where introduction to solid state chemistry? Okay, David is one of our most um, communicative listeners, and so we get lots of really good questions from him. But no, what I really want to do, and my work is pretty time-consuming right now, and one of the things I've talked uh, with Jam about some is possibly after my postdoc doing a lecture position that maybe I have a little bit more freedom to do stuff like this. But what I'm more interested in is food chemistry. I feel like there's so much about food chemistry that I haven't learned a lot about yet that would be so helpful for the podcast. And I think I did get some solid state chemistry whenever I was in grad school, you know, so that was like, that was probably enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like there's so much about food chemistry that I'm still interested and excited. And I know there's a food chemistry course. I don't know if it's through the MIT online videos or the Harvard, I think has one too. Uh But so they're also Mason's doing a software engineering class, I think, or a programming class through one of those. So you can oh, get yeah. really good classes online from really prestigious universities. So I kind of wanted to highlight that to our listeners who like learning about chemistry, that there are ways that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's like college level classes for free. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much out there like that, or there's stuff that's like maybe not say free, but it's very, very affordable Yeah, where it's like super good. And there's almost nothing stopping us from learning that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Mason basically did the free course and then paid like $30 to get access to assignments and have them be graded. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. This next question is from Neil M. What episode should a new listener pick to listen to? Ooh. Well, Neil is actually um, one of my chemistry friends' spouses. Oh, cool. So what's up, Neil? (laughs) Um. But he, so he started listening recently, I guess, to just learn more about chemistry and talk to his wife or like about it or whatever. Uh-huh. But I was like, oh, that's a hard question. Yeah. It's not just what's my favorite, but what's the best one for someone to listen to? The one that, so I'm often explaining to people what the podcast is and it's surprising to them because I'm like, I'm not a chemist. So yeah. I have to do some more extra legwork. Whereas like if people know Melissa, they know she's a chemist. <laughs> and then her having a podcast about chemistry is like, oh, makes sense. Yeah, but they just assume that it's really complicated. Right. They're right. like, oh, that's for other chemists. I'm like, no. No, I mean, it, it can be, <laughs> but that's not the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the ones that I regularly say to people that I feel like kind of gets a little bit of a hook, they're like, oh, okay, is, and I think this is one of the ones you prior to said too, which is um, why do onions make you cry when you cut them? Yes. That one's a big one where people are like, as soon as you say, yeah, we do episodes like, why do onions make you cry when you cut them? Yeah. People are like, oh, I do wonder that. And yeah. they start to realize like, oh, okay. You guys are trying to approach questions like that, that everyone 
might be interested in, even if they yeah. don't have a chemistry background at all. And so those are good. I think our coffee ones are probably pretty good because I think whatever has an entry point, something really relevant to your life. Yeah, that's true. Is going to help you be interested in it um, and get in the into the chemistry of it because you care about coffee if you're a coffee drinker. If you yeah. cook a lot, you've definitely chopped a bunch of onions and, and regretted the yes. feelings in your the eyes. Crying. Yeah. I did ask, I posted, this came in on our Instagram and I posted it and asked what other people thought. And somebody recommended the baking soda versus baking powder. But I think that could be hard because mm. you have to think about a proton, which is confusing. Mm-hmm. But then also someone asked or someone mentioned the plastic series. And I think that is a good one. And the cast iron slash Teflon series, also a really good one. Definitely. So those are probably some of my topics is the onions, coffee, just scrolling through and whatever seems fun to you. But I tried to think of which ones the chemistry was pretty easy. Another one is the Why Gecko's Walk on Walls. That's probably a good one. Yeah, and the the series about stickiness and intermolecular forces that's like the episodes kind of around there. Yeah. Were all interesting, but the geckos one's probably the most accessible of those. Yeah. Oh, and antioxidants. That was another one. Yes. Yes. Are they even good for you? Yeah. <laughs> and before we did this coffee specific ones, we did the caffeine one. Oh, people loved that and one. And that one's a really popular one because even if you're not a coffee person, you may have some other form of caffeine or just be curious yes. about it. So. And my husband asked what our most listened to episode ever was, and I don't know the answer to that. So let me see if I can look I it up. Do you I have a guess? Answer. What do you think? I think um, the one about Adderall is a top one. Oh, yeah. And then I think why do people hate organic chemistry is like second or third. <laughs> and That's funny. I think our coffee ones and caffeine ones are kind of up there, um, but I can't remember where. Okay, well, I'm sorting which ones have been most listened to. Well, the first one is the most listened to. It has 12,000. How to soap get things clean. And the next one is how do ADHD and Adderall change our brains? And then why do people hate organic chemistry? You're so right. And then the chemistry of tears and then coffee. Tears. Interesting. I'm surprised that one's up there. Yeah. Well, also the sunlight, uh, how can sunlight turn into electricity, which is also that and the organic chemistry one are both me just talking about my research. So I wonder if people just like hearing about yeah. My re- like hearing a person talk about their own work. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Good question, Neil. Very good question. And if you listener out there have listened to a bunch of our episodes and you have an opinion about it, let us know. Yeah. If the one that you're like, ooh, I think the best entry point for somebody would be this one. We'd love yeah. to hear that. You could go comment on our YouTube video or you can do just on our um on our Patreon if you subscribe or mm-hmm. on Instagram. Yep. We'd love to hear that. This last question is from Sam Wise. What is your favorite video game and or video game console? Okay. Well, I, will, I wanted to hear funny, your answer. What a funny question to be at, to ask both of us specifically. I know. That's why I, <laughs> I wanted to hear your answer. But I actually do really like a genre of games called Cozy Games. Who's surprised? I also like Cozy mm. Mysteries. Um, <laughs> also, I didn't even realize that was like a, an actual like game genre now. Yes. Our friend Chelsea, you know, she loves that. Uh, she loves Stardew Valley, which that one's my favorite. Uh-huh. I'll tell a story about it in a minute. But then I said, did you know there's a whole genre? And she said, "Um, who do you think I am? Of course <laughs> I knew about that genre. So that's funny. I like what they call cozy games. So um, Stardew Valley is the quintessential one where it's like peaceful. 
and you're just making your farm and uh-huh. everything's cute. That's really important to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I got into Minecraft to play with my husband and his siblings. And that was fun because I could just make my house look the way I wanted it. Uh-huh. And I found these really pretty um, underwater or un- underground caves that have like, it's called a lush cave. They have all these like cute pink flowers and plants. And I'm like, yeah, this is where I want to live. Uh-huh. So I do like those games for that. Um, but I, I also want to say that my husband made our cake toppers. Oh, yeah. He did those. Um, are they perler beads where you can iron things and they stick together? Can't remember what they're called, but yes. He used those to make us little versions of our characters in Stardew Valley only getting married. Yeah. So that was cute. Pretty cute. So that's my that's my video game response. But I really wanted to hear jams because when was the last time you played a video game? I don't think you even own a gaming console, which that's how I was before yeah. I got married. But Mason owns so many that now I have to like video games if I want him to like me. I, I don't know the last video game I played. Um, <laughs> but some background is I used to like my brothers and I have two brothers. And so we grew up playing a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. And then in college, I still played for a bit as well and then i remember my sophomore year of college um they i got a lot busier i want to say around that that same year a new console came out and of course i'm mm-hmm. a poor college student and so it's not like the console you have is immediately outdated people were moving on and i yeah. got stuck in the past yeah um i've never been like a a computer, a PC gamer before. And so everything I played was like growing up was like Xbox or, um, you know, whatever, whichever Nintendo was current. We had almost all of those. And then um, the last console I owned that was like relevant was the Xbox 360. So that's like okay. several ago. I don't know yeah. how many now. And so ever since like 2012, I have not been a gamer. So that's over 10 years ago. So oh. I just became a gamer. I don't even know if I'm a gamer, but like yeah. in 2020, basically when the first game that I played was Stardew Valley because my husband and I couldn't go on dates. Yeah. And so we, cause it was COVID cause we were in isolation. So we would meet in, in the game. That yeah. was like how we went on dates remotely. That's pretty cool. That's how he tricked me into playing games. Yeah. Because before I was like, what a waste of time. I will say that just so I can actually give an answer instead of just being a wah, 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 uh, wah. the the some games that I have loved. I mean, if growing up, if you were a '90s, if you're a kid where most of your childhood was in the '90s, then you did a lot of like Mario and that kind of stuff. And I mostly was, just watched my brother play games while I did chemistry homework. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, these, there's, the you really switched roles in a lot of ways. Yeah. The fact that you've had a renaissance of video games and and like your Early 30s is pretty awesome. <laughs> but so I played a lot of uh, Mario and Zelda, loved those games. Mm. And I even, I think, I think we actually maybe talked about this on the podcast once early in our early days. I was able to figure out a, a way to get an emulator yes. to play some of those old games again. That was fun. I got to play Pokemon. Yes. And I played, I played through uh, Mario 64 on an emulator. And so that was probably the last game you played. Yeah. Probably like the last real video game I played. But yeah. Um, so I did a lot of that as a kid. And then I think the games that were huge for me in college in my last my last video game era was um a lot of Halo. Oh yeah. Halo was one I watched my brother play while I did homework. 
And as a kid, <laughs> also we played, uh, this is in the cozy game category. Animal Crossing is probably like... Oh, never played that. It's one of the OGs that I would bet that a lot of the cozy games you play now are in some way, um, the people who created it like liked Animal Crossing also. Yeah, somebody told me yeah. I should play Animal Crossing. So I played that as on the, on the earlier versions of that game. And then I played, I think in high school, they came up with a new one and I played that one. But in college, my last era of video games was um, uh, Halo. I want to say Halo Reach was the one that was out then. And that was, you know, you couldn't go anywhere in, in college up finding people playing that in the dorms or whatever. And then, I didn't have that experience. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Skyrim came out. Oh, right I've then. heard of that one. And yeah. that one was my probably my big, my, my, the last game I got obsessed with. So that tells you something. There's yeah. still people who play that, of course, but um, there's been so many other big games that have happened since then for the, you know, many years since then. And so I got left behind. Yeah. But I'm okay now. I'm too busy, so there's no way I could fit them in if I even yeah. wanted to. Even if I had the money, I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's you got left behind, and I got sucked into someone else's. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why yeah. do we need a PlayStation Five and a Nintendo Switch? And you can play games on your computer, and I can play games on my laptop. Like yeah. that seems excessive. But you know, I get it yep. now. I do. It's and what's cool is that Mason's siblings play together, which you should, maybe you said. Yes, this that's ago. what's fun yeah. is not playing. By yourself. I don't think it's usually fun to play by myself. I'd rather just read or do anything else. But playing with other people is what makes video games fun, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that that's, I think, how they tricked me into it, is it was like a community event. It's like a way right. to connect with people. Yeah. So. That was a good question. I, oh, I did want to share a little bit of nostalgia, is that I think the first gaming system we ever had was a Sega Genesis. Oh, nice. Which, did you have one of those? I did not, but a friend of mine did, and I was at his house a lot, so I, I played just, it plenty. But. When I think of video games, I think of that, like, Sega, oh, yeah. <laughs> like that sound. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my nostalgia. That's my most nostalgic video game console, because yeah. I don't really have a favorite. I just play Stardew Valley, yeah. you know. Yeah, Sweet. Okay, well, I think that's all the questions. Those were really good ones. Thanks, Jam, for reading those. And thanks to all our listeners for sending those in. Yes, thank y'all. We love your questions. They're the best. Yeah. We love the chemistry-specific ones and the ones that veer a little bit outside of that, like video <laughs> games. Always yeah. very fun. So thank y'all for sending those. Yeah, it feels like a chance that we get to talk about our personalities a little bit. Come yeah, out. yes, definitely. Which, you know, we find rats for that in the regular episodes. But <laughs> we have a little more breathing room on these. So yeah. that's fun. So, um, yeah, thank you all for sending your questions and ideas. Melissa and I love hearing those from you guys. We have a lot of ideas of our own, but y'all's questions, y'all's topics, y'all's episode ideas are some of the best. So you can reach out to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, yourlife.com to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the costs of making it, go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or tap the link in our show notes or in the description to join our super cool community of patrons and get exclusive stuff. If you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on our favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. And one quick thing about the review deal. Um, we say this every episode, of course. And so if you're a frequent listener, it's like you probably get used to the rhythm of that. Yeah. We got a review this past week, which we don't actually check these actively very often. Uh, we get an email sometimes if we get a new one. And then it's just in our inbox and we have to read it. Usually um, they are encouraging and really nice and we love reading them. Or they might have a bit of like helpful feedback that's, that means well. Uh, this 
this week we got one that says, um, <laughs> I could not make it past the first 10 minutes of idiotic babble and egocentric millennial whining. <laughs> what a shame. I had higher hopes. The topics looked compelling. First, let me say, you, you, if you're listening to this, you're probably not one of these people who feels this way because you yeah. listen to this whole episode. To but, all of our millennial egocentric yeah. babble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, then these Q&Rs especially. It's like <laughs> yeah. we, were, you know, we hang out, we say whatever. But if you're someone like that, like we might just not be the podcast for you. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to say though is like this is the problem with the internet culture right now. This person's just one person and it's actually a trend. So it's not their fault only. But the idea of like, being very impersonal and not caring about, like, thankfully we are pretty unfazed yeah. by this. I like to take the opportunity to like make this person be an example for what we should all not be. Um, but I don't really care. We don't really care what they think. Cause they're just not our kind of listener. This kind of person wants something else and that's okay. Yeah. What I think is really odd is the go put a one star review and say, I couldn't make it past the first 10 minutes. It's like, <laughs> just like very impersonal, not not kind to other humans. And uh, we will not miss this person not listening to our podcast. They can go somewhere else and listen to something else. Um, the people who listen to our podcast are really involved in our community that we hear yeah. from a lot, send us questions, send us corrections, which we do. We those. love those, yeah. And but, we love constructive feedback whenever yep. we've gotten feedback about maybe somebody said, oh, Jam interrupts a little too often or, yep. or enunciate more or things like that. We'll take the constructive feedback that we know how to change for yeah. sure. And, and we want people to like the podcast, but it's, of course we can't make it be something completely different either. And so this is what we know how to make. And if you like it, we're really glad you're here. And um, we hope this helps you like chemistry more. That's like been Melissa's vision from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but also if this is not your cup of tea, then, Cup of tea. Move on. You don't have to, you know, we're just a little indie podcast. So I feel like I could see other podcasters receiving a review like this and it just taken all the wind out of their sails, you know, and it's just mean spirited. Yeah. I think it, that's the thing is like, I've heard other podcasters have a really hard time with getting a lot of negative reviews and it kind of like making them question their value or their worth. And like, even some of them having like emotional breakdowns because it's so hard. Yeah. I think we really believe in what we're doing and we have so many nice people that we just love hearing from. Yep. So for us, this isn't as big of a deal, but we don't want. And we, we have each other too, which helps. Yeah. I think if either of us are doing some sort of solo endeavor, any feedback is solely squarely on you. Yeah. As a single scary. person, at least we can kind of share the the load a bit. I'm like, oh, okay, we can do that differently or whatever. Or in this case, it's like we can laugh about it together. Yeah. <laughs> And with you guys, which is pretty funny. It did but. it did make me laugh. I'll say that. Yeah. But I also want to take a chance to shout out some of the people who have left us really nice pod, uh, podcast reviews recently. So one person said, I'm a chemist to be binging your podcast from uh, from Iran, binging your podcast from the University of Tehran. And I thought that was really cool. Yes. And there's another one who said, um, this has been extremely informational, exciting podcast to listen to as my po partner is a chemist. And I didn't usually know or pretend to care about what she was talking about, but now I'm constantly fascinated. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, someone else said, um, and this is kind of on theme. If you're a future podcast listener, um, after enjoying the show, you must comment and give five stars, <laughs> give them a reward for their hard work, which you don't have to, but it really helps us. Yeah. And then, yeah, just people say about how chemistry, you know, is 
it's making chemistry fun and how informative it is. And so there's so many people that have left us good reviews. We don't only want to give attention to the person who, who gave a negative one. Yeah. We just want to address that like unkind nature. Yes. And also we thought this is a good reminder because we say this every week, every episode, but if you're someone who's listened for a while and you like the show, it really does help us a lot for you to write a review on Apple podcasts. Um, one, it helps other people looking for podcasts to discover us. And one of the things that we've found, because we don't do much, you know, like we just do a lot of word of mouth stuff. People find our podcast because they just go looking for chemistry podcasts. They just go search it on whatever app or whatever. And so having your review, if you're someone who likes the podcast and when hopes that somebody else will find it too, means the world to us. And yeah. uh, we'd love to have your review. So if you've listened for a while and haven't taken the chance to do that, we just want to encourage you to do that. It helps us a ton and it takes you, you know, only 30 seconds or so. And so please do that if you've been waiting to, um, and just know how much that means to us. We love hearing those reviews. And even if you don't have time to type something, if you just go put whatever stars you think is appropriate, um, it helps us and it, it adds more of an accurate score to our, um, our ratings. What you find a lot is there's some people who high, high praise go there and people who are the most annoyed grouchy, grumpy, um, yeah. only have the wrong side of their bed to wake up on kind of <laughs> folks. And the, that kind of makes things for any independent creators, like their rating scores aren't really that accurate because it's the happiest people and the angriest people, yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, sure. let this be a reminder to you and, and thank you guys who've already done that. We've appreciated y'all's feedback and, and reviews and encouragement. And now I'm, I'll end my section that I added a lot on <laughs> throw it to you. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. Jam Robinson is our producer. And this episode was made possible by our financial supporters on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. And those supporters are Avishai B, Bree M, Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne S, Timothy P, Venus R. Thanks again for everything you all do to make chemistry for your life happen.